Well, greetings, everybody, and welcome once again to another episode of the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and we are officially sponsored by Running Aces. So thanks to those guys for their support. Uh, today, I sit down with uh, Mark Hodge. Uh, if you follow him on Twitter, he's bookmark58, and you'll find out why he's called that here in a couple of minutes. Uh, but just a great guy, great conversation, and I appreciate him taking the time to share some insights with us. But before we get into that, just a couple of quick things. Um, a shout out for All In For Africa. We got our seventh one coming up at Running Aces here on October 28th. So mark your calendars. We'd love to have that thing uh, even bigger than we have in the past. Uh, we typically run around 140 people and then we have a whole bunch of rebuys and it's a great time. A bunch of bounty prizes. So half the money goes to charity. The other half goes to the prize pool, and then we overlay all of these bounties, and it ends up being a pretty uh, a pretty good prize pool at the end of the day. So if you want to donate a prize, that would be awesome. If you want to be a bounty, let me know. We can still get you on the poster, on the flyer, get your picture out there as one of the most wanted folks. So uh, get in touch with me if you want to do that. And then secondly, let's just hear a quick word from uh, Running Aces, our sponsor, because I didn't take time during the interview with Mark to, uh, to build in any breaks. So let's hear from them first, and then we'll get into the interview with Mark Hodge. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar, Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. All right, well, everybody, well, I'm sitting here with Mark Hodge. Mark, first of all, thanks for taking the time. You're welcome. We're sitting here at Running Aces, so it's a little bit noisy in the background, but that's right. kind of a kind of a fun vibe, right? Absolutely. <laughs> As we're preparing First food. and second tonight on the Tuesday night tournament, what do you think? Yeah, let's make the call, right? Right now. You and I are going to go play the deep stack after this. Exactly. So this is the prediction, the final. I always tell people, if you're on the Rec Poker Podcast or you play All In For Africa, you do well. And so here you go. I'm helping you out tonight. We just need to see if we can keep Max Havlish away. I know, but he's going to be here. <laughs> that's he's, okay. He's... We're going to be the best. we got to beat the best. <laughs> we're going to nuke Deuce Nukem. That's there we go. Nuke the Duke. Do. Deuce Nukem. All right. Nuke the Duke or whatever, yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> nuke the Deuce. <laughs> well, I've been trying to connect with you for a while, and I know I've had to reschedule <clears> some things, and so I'm finally excited to, to sit down with you. You and I played together just a little bit, but right. I've kind of watched you from a distance and watched the MSPT caches kind of rack up, and I've always respected your game, so finally a chance to learn from the wizard himself and, and, and i saw you and i saw you in the world series of poker i took the picture of you and you probably thought i was stalking you yes i thought that was great i showed my wife i showed everybody i was playing with my five seconds of fame where my backpack and my mspt sweatshirt gives me a, and my twins cap give me away on a side angle sitting at a table right as they were just like scrolling through the whole crowd of people playing the main event I'm like exactly hey, I, think I know that guy that guy i know <laughs> well so let's start off a little bit just kind of tell us What's your story? Who who is Bookmark? What is it? Bookmark fifty eight or what's exactly. your Twitter handle? Bookmark. Who, who are you? How'd you get into poker? What's your deal, man? Well, my deal is right now I am retired. I'm, uh, I've got uh, three sons and eight grandkids, and I do a little bit of part time substitute teaching, probably tutoring and high school math, and we'll come back to that later. But I have um, a little good flexibility with my time, and. Um, when I had retired originally a number of years ago, um, I started playing the limit games. Back then it was the 8, 16, 15, 30, basically as a regular at the 15, 30 game, which then became 20, 40. So a lot of guys that I played with there 
started playing in tournaments. Okay. And uh, the bookmark is my board name at Canterbury. Oh, and okay. I got it because there were multiple marks at that table at one point. And Elaine, for those of you 15, 30, 20, 40 alumni, well, no, Elaine, is, uh, she named me Bookmark because when I played the Limit game, I was always reading a book. Okay. Right. So show you where, where my time playing that game is to now. I used to have a paperback or a hardbound book with me every time, and I'd read. Of course, then that went to the Kindle and uh, the iPad and whatever. But what I've learned since uh, switching over to tournament poker is I have no time to read books at the table. And that's probably as good an indication of the difference between a Limit poker game and a no-limit poker tournament as there is. Uh, but, so uh, so why, why is that? Is it because you just need to focus more on what's happening, or literally the action is, <clears throat> action is faster? Or? Well, I used to play probably three times a week during the day. A lot of the same guys would play. Um, the nature of limit poker is you've got uh, not a lot of choice in how much you're going to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, you're ability to protect the big hand is much less. Uh, drawing hands can be pretty favorable in the right kind of game. So you're going to play those um, all the way through to the end. And uh, it's just kind of a, it kind of gets road after the a more while. Mechanical kind more of, mechanical. More yeah. mechanical. So for a relaxing afternoon, gotcha. reading a book and playing poker and uh, was was a kind of a good formula for me. So you were the bookmark. I was a bookmark. Yeah. And fifty eight, just because that, that was, was the year one. I was born. And oh, believe okay. it or not, when you go out on Twitter or any place else, there's, uh, there's more than one bookmark. So out. there must be similar stories, doppelgangers out there. Heaven forbid. Right. <laughs> so so you mentioned at that time you were you're already playing pretty. I mean that's pretty pretty big cash games for those of us recreational players. Right, right. So you must have been, you know, have you been playing poker your whole life, or when did you kind of first get into it? Like a lot of Midwesterners, I grew up in a card-playing family. I've always been really competitive. You know, I probably didn't lose my first game of Monopoly till I was, I don't know how old. And it, it probably just burned you. Right, and so, you know, family reunions, whatnot, all kinds of games of cards. Uh, okay. When I was when I was working earlier in my career, I didn't have much time to do a lot of that. Yeah. best I might do is a little bit of blackjack at Mystics. But uh, uh, once I found out that they uh, were playing poker at Canterbury, when it opened up, what now, 16 years ago, um, shortly after that I started to go out there. And then once I, I retired in March of 2002, so that's about a year after Canterbury okay. opened. Yeah. And for uh, <clears throat> uh, my wife, as part of the president for retiring, uh, made up these nice custom-made I'll call them hall passes that says one free trip to Canterbury, no questions asked. And she gave me ten of those, right? Genius. That was great. All right, wives, so, are you listening out there? Yeah. So what happened was, for for those of you wives that have gone through their retirement or not, it could be the other <laughs> way around. I know there's some stay-at-home dads out there. Sure. Um, so the I used one. My whole life I used one. Because she quickly figured out that... Mark, why don't you go play poker today? <laughs> okay, you know what? I kind of liked my. It was kind of a routine. Now, why don't you get out of the house? So either pick up a job again, or yeah. Right. Okay. So I guess you could say that I started playing poker at Canterbury about 15 years ago. So as a uh, my wife wanted me out of the house. So nice. there you go. <laughs> and she hasn't let you back in yet. You've been no, 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 since, uh, no. And she's a willing participant <laughs> in this. We can get to that later. Does she play at all? She's not. No, she. Okay. Her, I, she doesn't like to gamble at all. Yeah. Okay. She's not a gambler. Maybe yeah. she'll play uh, the 25-cent machines to kill time out at Vegas, uh, mm-hmm. the five-card draw. Okay. That's about as far as she'll gamble. Okay, so give us a little bit of a framework then as far as, like, what do you <clears throat> normally play now? What size games? Is it, you know, the split between cash and tournaments? Do you do anything with And actually, I just or? played tournaments. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've never been a big cash player in No Limit. That has a lot to do with the state we live in. Right. And then... Uh, 
It also has to do with the timing of when I switched. I kind of had about 15 hours a week that I could play limit. And so when I decided to start playing tournaments and kind of flipped the time, that's very similar to a, you know, a weekend two-day tournament down in Meskwaki or here at Running Aces or, right. or whatever. So that's about kind of the right balance for me. Okay. Um, is, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week. So you're still playing. That's what you're doing. And normally you're playing the bigger... But I'm not playing cash. Right. I'm playing right. tournaments. Because tournaments are much more challenging, much more interesting. I was going to ask why the transition then. I know there, we don't have no limit cash here, but you could go to Wisconsin or you could play limit cash here. Is it... Yeah, and I could play no limit cash out in Vegas or some sure. of these other places yeah. where we go, like Milwaukee and Meskwaki and whatever, and try to win that $300,000 jackpot or whatever that right. is. Um, but I haven't. And... Um, you know, I just think they're they're kind of a different mentality. Yeah. And um, I've kind of, I guess you could say, uh, the no limit tournament kind of offered me a challenge that was different, and I haven't uh, gotten to the point where I'm, uh, you know, I'm still hooked. You know, yeah. I'm still, I still, you know, I, I still think I can be a lot better player than I am. I okay. still have a lot of work to do in this kind of realm, if you will. Yeah. And so, you know, I kind of stick to this. And you play a lot of the MSBTs. Is that what your yeah? I did. Tour, so what happened was you got about like twenty-one caches. I saw on the MSBT. Is that right? Yeah. Nineteen main event, two regional. Well, I've done my research. All right, there you go. Yeah, that's All a big right. number. That's a pretty big number. Uh, yeah, you sound like you kind of have statistical background. I'll have to ask I, you about that. Sometime. I, I do. I do. I like my numbers. Don't we all? Um, <laughs> at any rate, uh, no. A couple years ago, when MSBT, I probably played a few MSBTs in the first few years. Um, and I enjoyed talking to those guys because they had that entrepreneurial spirit of starting something new. Yeah. And, uh, um, but I didn't, I didn't play a lot, and I didn't. I cashed once before 2015 hmm. or 2014, I guess it okay. was. So 2014, I went out to Vegas to play the inaugural MSBT at the Venetian. The Venetian big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was a like $2 million guarantee. I know, and that was so cool because I saw that build. That's okay. a really cool story. People go, well, I don't even know why MSPT's here because it wouldn't make any difference. Yeah, it did. Mm, okay. It made a big difference. A few hundred extra Midwest players right. took a tournament that was normally 450 players and turned it into a 3,000-plus tournament. Yeah. Big multi-day tournament. And, then, you know, it's, it's, it's those of you that are listening now, those of you who have been out there, you guys are the difference in this. <laughs> Most of you know the story, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave that one alone. But anyway... Um, that I went, I played in that, and we ended up with a I don't know two day total of over eight hundred players, and I finished twelfth. So I had my first big cash. Yeah. God, I tell you what, and there's nothing like a nice cash <laughs> to make you think you're true, right? to make you think you're a good to, player. To, to, validate you, to validate you not only as a player but also as a person. <laughs> exactly. I was like, holy crap, I can do this. Right. Remember what was what was kind of the score on that then? For I want to say you know ten twelve grand. And something it was like that. Eleven hundred dollar buy-in. Yeah, eleven hundred dollar buy. Yeah, yeah. eleven hundred dollar buy. So, I guess I guess kind of a, a running aces, uh, Canterbury uh, uh, MSPT that puts you somewhere in like you know what eighth place or something like that, mm-hmm. seventh eighth place, something like that. So okay. it was a nice hit. Yeah. In um, and so I, I even went as far as when I got back, I talked to my wife and I said, you know what, I think I can do be better at this than I've been so far. Yeah. I think if I just put some time and energy into it, that I could be better. And so I made the decision then that in the next calendar year I was going to play a lot. And then I just had a lot of success to begin with. And that really kind of steamrolled. Yeah, and you had a big year for the M- with the MSPT, right? I did. I yeah. did. I did. Um, in, in the December of 2014, um, the last MSPT event was at Canterbury. And uh, I finished my first final table. I got a seventh-place finish yeah. there. So that was the first time being you know, at a final table. And then as it turns out, 
that's where my run began. Yeah, I, I got to know your August 2016, you finished fourth in Sioux Falls. At least that's what the... Uh, last year. August 20, uh, 2016. Yep, yeah, 2016. Yeah, and yeah. then also you had a third in, in one of the regionals up at Grand, Grand Casino Mille Lacs. Right, and right. so that's all kind of that two, three-year window <clears> there. Where yeah, let me back up, though, because there's a big yeah. piece we're missing here. So, um, you know, being the kind of quasi-planner, analytical guy that, that you, you and I both... It sounds like you're not a quasi-planner. You're a, you're a planner. Well, when I'm on my game, I'm a planner, <laughs> okay, but unfortunately not always. I'm a retired planner, which means I'm not as good as I used to be. But anyway, <laughs> um, I actually realized that um, that uh, that there was a different game to be played than what I played before that. I would describe myself as a limit player who went to no limit and played limit poker at no limit. Mm, okay, meaning Way too much, meaning that I figured out how not to get myself in a lot of trouble, but... I didn't find myself going as far as I wanted to. Right. I was your classic. I can beat half the field almost yep. every tournament, min cash a few times, but never yep. find myself a high going. in the money percentage. But right, low but ROI. never exactly yeah. never find myself going deep. <clears throat> and all the money wasn't exactly, and it wasn't, and I knew that. But it, but it wasn't until, and I still haven't got this mastered at all. But it wasn't until I learned that you have to think about the game fundamentally different. Hmm. Um, um, and and I was along that path. But I was kind of like in a dark room, feeling my way around the walls. So I went, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I need to go. I'm a, I'm a teacher. I need to go find a teacher. I need yeah. to go learn from somebody, nice. right? Yep. And so <clears throat> I said, who's the best player I know? Blake Bond. Okay, yeah, because you didn't know me at the time. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're laughing a little too hard. <laughs> right. Okay. So you're, you're, this is true. <laughs> yeah, this true. is true. It's, it's not. You know what? I know what's going to happen. So we're going to do this interview three years from now. Right. And we're going to go. Do you remember that time when you realized you could have come to me? Right. And your I'm last just, three years before. I'm right here. Exactly. All right. All right. I like this. We'll do this kind of team thing. Right. Exactly. We'll both make each other better. We'll get there together. Okay. So you, so you knew, knew Blake and went to Blake. And, yeah. So yeah. so Blake Blake went. Oh, Mark, I you know I said Blake, I'll pay you. I'll mm -hmm. I'll you know. Take a percentage of my action. Do it. You know, right. I'm, I'm serious about this. Out. I'm serious. Yeah. And he kind of went. You know, I'm not really. You know, if I don't really do that. If I don't do that. Friends or whatever. I'm happy to help you out. But I, I said, well, he said, well, let's just sit down. So, so we sat down for two hours, and I had a two-hour session with Blake. <clears throat> uh, you know, one of the best two-hour sessions you know that you, you can imagine to have, right? Yeah. And we just talked poker. Yeah. We didn't, you know. Blake would be the first to tell you he's not, in, you know, teaching is not, you know, his natural thing, but mm -hmm. he certainly knows a lot about poker. And, and if you're a about question poker. asker, you can pull it right, out. Right, right, right. And, and uh, you know, very, uh, very good, very good conversation. Um, you know, we talked uh, about a myriad of things. He, he said, you read these two books. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, you know, uh, can you do this? What if you're in this situation? What about that? Yep. Have you thought about this? You know, a couple things, uh, you know, he said, Don't, uh, you'll never hear me say I'm card dead. Right. I'm never yep. card dead. I might be spot dead, but I'm mm -hmm. never card dead. Mm -hmm. And I kind of knew that, but it's one thing to kind of know that and then just to kind of commit to that yeah, in that's your mind. So good. Yeah. Just commit to it. You know, yep. There are plenty of spots out there, regardless of what two cards you get, and you have to commit to that. You have to commit that you can play the game well enough to find your spots out yep. there. And it's hard sometimes. You bet. You know, yep. How many times have we talked to each other about our bad beats because we still all love to talk about bad you beats? Bet. Yep. And we never said something about, that was such a good spot, I can't believe it. No, we say, I had aces or I had queens. Right, exactly. Or I had, you know, or I had a suited connector that yep. I had to both flush draw. Bad beats 
it's or it's all listening to people talk about how hard dead they were for two hours. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And that's so yeah. much yeah. not what this right. game is about. Right. You know, that's just so much the wrong way to think. It's about the cards. And even the, even those of us that understand that, we still talk that way a little sure, bit too sure. much. Yeah. But but it's hard to articulate to somebody what it means to kind of find the right spots. And so, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, and it's a big part of learning the game. So that was really really a big part in talking to him. And so there were other things that came out of that. There are other things that came out of that, and and some of which were he was reinforcing, well, you you really do understand more than you think you do, you know, but getting that reinforcement. And so I bought him a, a, you know, a nice bottle of wine, which turns out cost him more money than me because... He and Lisa fell in love with it, and he's talked about all the cases of this wine that he's... So so all I can say was money well worth, and uh, I, I should probably get a kickback on the wine. You made wine. that company a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Okay. So, uh, at any rate, so that that was an important part. So then I, I well, fast forward, we hit the... We do good at uh, Canterbury. Um, I'm committed to playing on this MSPG tour. Um, nice, nice kind of balance for me of what I liked it. I, I enjoy talking to people around the table. I enjoy kind of the relaxed atmosphere of doing that, um, uh, and that, that seemed to fit that. There's a lot of guys like you and I mm-hmm. that are rec- poker players that um, can get lucky and you know be effective and and have a good weekend and a good score. And so right. um, that that was just a good kind of fit for me to do that. So in the tour, the tournament was long enough <clears throat> where I felt like I could be patient. Yeah, you know, I didn't feel rushed like tonight. I'm going to tell you, there's going to be points where I'm going to, I, I, I got to hold myself back because I feel like that's oh, only 20 minute levels. I got to right, do something, right. right? And that's where, you know, like as, as a, as an even more of a recreational, less experienced player tonight, I'm excited about because it feels deeper than some of the stuff that I play. Yes. You know what I mean? When oh, I, when sure. I get a chance to play some of those, the 40 minute levels, that's how I just eat it up. It's like, it feels like forever. Right. And, but even tonight with the deep stack, you know, 20 minute levels, that feels like that's fairly comfortable because I'm so used to a, a turbo type of right. feel. But for somebody like you, it's used to playing the MSPTs, you're like, What's going on? We're switching again. We're switching again. Yeah. So yeah. So I, it, mindset's so important. But go it, ahead. Is yeah. patient. No, I'm kind of as a segue to because I think of you and we, the few conversations that we've had. You've taught me more than you probably realize about the value of the stack that I have remaining because I do. One of my leaks is still tending to get nervous when I get down to 15 big blinds and like I got to make something happen. I got to make something happen. Right. And punting it too early when it's not really the right spot. Right. And so I think about you. I think about. You, you have this either this analytical or this patience or something about playing that stack and recognizing the value in that stack. But I'm, I'm kind of in a long way segueing to, I guess, what do you feel like are your strengths as a, as a player? Like what, what, what's giving you the success? Yeah, really oh, <laughs> sorry, the cops are, there's, the there's cops a, are after there's us. There's an edit. <laughs> there's an edit coming in there. <laughs> but, but, you know, like what, what is it that, that's giving you the success? Clearly it's not just luck. You know, you've, you've, had some, you've had skill, you've developed your game, you've learned from Blake and others. How do you characterize the success that you've had? What are the keys? <clears throat> well, I think you got to kind of develop a game that's your game. You can't play everybody else's game. You can play, you might find players that are more like your game, but it, there's more than one game that can be successful at this, okay? Mm-hmm. And so you have to play comfortable in your own skin, whatever that may be. And so it's at a point a couple years ago, I felt like I was there. And so I played very confidently. Mm-hmm. I, I had a game plan, and I was executing it consistently for a few months there. And uh, um, I once, I once uh, participated with something with uh, Ku and Vlad where they were looking for good questions. And my question was, what's the most important single characteristic of, uh, 
of a successful poker player. And, yeah. and, and there were some good answers, but I kind of I still like this thing of confidence. If you mm. you cannot play this game unless you have confidence. Yep. Okay. And uh, there's a, a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Successful sure. People that's yeah. had Covey. multiple generations of the Covey stuff. And that's one of the things I did in my career was go to a Covey seminar. For Seek first a to understand. Weekends. That's the one that always sticks with me. <clears throat> yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah. But one, <laughs> of, them, one, of, them. one of them is begin with the end in mind. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> okay. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of think, how am I going to get to the end here where I want to get to? And then you back your way up and you have goals and, and so on and so forth in between. If you understand, going back to your short step comment, if you understand and how and how to how to play, and you get comfortable with your small stack, short stack play, you're you know, say between about seven and twenty big blinds. Yeah. You're not going to worry about getting to seven to twenty big blinds. Right. Okay. You're gonna you're going to you're going to pick spots and take risks, good risks, good. I guess you would call it good EV risks. I'm not sure if I've got my math all right on all that mm-hmm. so far. But you're going to be more confident that you're not going to worry about getting to that point. So I, somewhere along the last few years, had a couple situations where um, I was in a multi-day tournament where I started day two with that small stack and played all the way to the final table with yeah. it. And once you've done that once, the confidence then comes. The confidence is there. Mm-hmm. So you kind of learn the power of, there's some power in a small stack. And you know, you've got to have some luck too. But so, so begin with the end in mind, be confident with playing that level of stack. Then you can play the next levels up along the way with a little bit less Fear, if so when you will. that's good. When you're when you're talking about uh, playing with the end in mind, are you talking about like with within an individual tournament, or are you talking about? Your and the example I'm giving is to say is you're yeah, in a multi-day within tournament. One tournament, yeah. Right. Any multi. The end in mind being. The end in mind. You want to be. Yeah. Maybe the end in mind is you want to be at the final table in the top three, right? Okay. And so you got to you got to get there, right? Yep. Right. And I'm just saying that good. a lot of people think of that and go, I need to accumulate a lot of chips quickly. Right. And you learn that that can get you. You can make a lot of mistakes that way. Yeah. You you don't there you have plenty of time to accumulate chips. There are places that you absolutely recognize it's, that right. you've got to take some risks and so on and right. so forth. But they're not everywhere, and you can be really patient. And often, often the way the chips flow is more by other people making mistakes than than than, than you doing something heroic or something you can't control. There's so many things you can't control uh, around the poker table or in life, for that yeah. matter. So it's more about letting the game come to you versus I think trying so. to force the spots. I think so. I, I think there's obviously some some play mm-hmm. that don't discount aggressiveness. Don't oh, dis- sure. don't yeah. discount confidence. Don't discount trying to take control of certain situations. But the opportunity has to, it has to be a legitimate opportunity, not right, something right. you're manufacturing. Don't, right. Don't force. Head. Right. Don't right. look down and say I've only got 15 and 20 big blinds in the. Right. And, and I'm afraid time's going to run out me. And right. you know I saw where there's a lot of sevens on the board. So <laughs> right. Right. so let's play this seven. <laughs> seven seem hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, sevens were hot. I did not come this time. Well, so what? What um, I guess what are you are you actively working on things to improve, or is that as you play, you're you're just paying attention and improving your game, or are there things that you're doing outside of being at the table to to try to? To be know, honest with you, yeah, I'd say right now I, I'm uh, I'm playing. This is my worst year of poker in the last four. I mm-hmm. haven't haven't had a lot of success. Uh, haven't uh, played well at times. Gotten into bad habits mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of having to refine my way back and and uh, figuring out how much of this is a hobby and how much of I want to, you know, put some energy into it. So, so I've I've kind of gone back and forth this year with how much energy I want to put in the game. So, do you, do you feel like you're actually playing worse, or is it just negative variance? 
both. Because I mean, you know, sometimes you would look at the results and we go, oh, we're playing great or bad, and it's really yeah. No, I think in my case it's both. Um, um, I've had more negative variants for a longer period of time this year than I've yeah. had before, but I also feel like I've fallen into some bad habits okay. too. So okay, so now you're just deciding. Feel like you're at a little bit of a crossroads. Like, am I going to go after this or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean I. Okay. I uh, uh, crossroads is a good way to put it. Part, part of it is just how much poker do I want to play? Yeah. How many hours do I want to put in poker? I don't want to make poker a full time. I don't. Mm-hmm. Bless your hearts, all you guys out there that are 20, 30, 40 years old that can make a living playing poker. It's hard. Yeah. And all of you out there that are 15 to 20 or, or whatever coming up, uh, you know, make sure you got your day job because I can't. Right. It's just a very hard place, I think, to yeah. make a living. Um, but it's a wonderfully fun game and just a little, very challenging mentally and yeah. and uh, you know and I enjoy getting to know guys like yourself or whoever and find yeah. out what their story is and and you know uh, poker you know in some ways is a lot like life in terms of um, you know, so there's some lessons you can learn from it if you if you yeah. listen to it. But, I, do, I do another podcast. I talk about lessons I've learned about life from poker. Yeah. I've got a whole series of it. It's, it's amazing when you actually do look for it. You probably can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just start with negative variants. That's one of those things. You can control what you can control, and right. then there's things that just happen. Exactly. Positive or negative. Exactly. Okay, so you're, are you still playing as much then as you're sorting this out? Um, uh, I played less yeah. in, the sp- in the late spring uh, and generally into the summer. I didn't play as much um, as I have in the past. Um Though, uh, like I didn't go to Milwaukee last weekend. Okay. Uh, uh, the last two years, I think it's the last two years or two or three years, I've made a significant portion of the MSPT events. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, probably around like 80% of them. Okay. And, yeah. and I'd say this year, I'm not even sure if I even made half, maybe okay. 40%. So, okay. so, yeah, less. I've okay. been playing less. Yep. But, yeah. I've, but I still play. Yeah. Well, here we are. Yeah. Maybe tonight will get you back on the There you go. Back on the train. Well, I mean, one of the things. That, now, it's interesting before, because you said you were always reading a book when you're playing Limit Hold'em or whatever, and every time I see you, I feel like you're always observing the table and paying attention. So that's maybe the difference between that and tournament poker. But as you're as you're observing, as you watch, you know, what are the things that you see where you just kind of like internally are shaking your head and you're going, boy, these guys keep making the same mistakes. I mean, as you know, a lot of our audience is newer players or less experienced players, and, you know, we all make so many mistakes. But from your perspective, what mistakes do you see us making over and over, or the people that are less experienced? Um, well, I guess one of the things I would say is don't underestimate the importance of position and that you have a certain number of decisions on every hand, and if you're in a bad position, you're in the bad position on every single one of those decisions. And if you're in a good position, you're in a good position on every single one of those positions. So position is a pretty important part of this game. Yeah. And, uh, and, and learning how to play uh, different positions is a really important part. So just, just I would say people most people. I would say positions yeah. more important than more important in general than what your two cards are. Mm-hmm. Okay, and most people will will basically go, my two cards are the most important thing, and that's just simply, uh, you know, something that you need to kind of switch your thinking on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, position has got a much better value to you, so. So, uh, so, so that'd be the number one. Okay. And related to that would be falling in love with two cards. Mm-hmm. You know, we fall in love with two cards. Uh, all of us do, whatever they may be, whatever the yeah. situations may be. And it really, it's much more about <clears throat> it's much more about the dynamics that are going on between you and the other player or players at the table that's going to have uh, uh, the most importance, you know, on your success. Yeah. 
knowing how you do that. And so how do you weight, you know, some people classify themselves as like field players and a lot of physical tells where they just kind of have a gut feel for the situation and some people are more like analytical, what's the right EV and this, and then some people are, you know, what are the betting patterns of the person and what's their right. style? I mean, it's probably all of those things, but do you kind of characterize yourself a certain way, like what your style is in that, like what you give more weight to? <clears throat> When I play my best, which is unfortunately not often enough, um, I'm able to balance those pretty well. I have a pretty pretty good mathematical mind, so I can, I quickly have I know what's in the pot all the time. Yeah. I can do that in the background, yeah. so I don't have to take time to count the pot much. Mm-hmm. I have a really good idea what that is all the time, so I don't spend a lot of time. Totally. It's in my, yeah, 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 and I have a pretty good idea of. You know what the basics are in terms of you know what the probabilities are of certain hands and what the next card could be and what that might do to the, what's going on so I try not to dwell on getting that exactly right all the time yep I try to feel like that's kind of more of a directional thing that you need not to lose sight of but I'm not as uh, rigid um, okay. on that part of it because I feel like I'm pretty close to having it in the background all the time right so I try to focus more on my sense of the dynamic at the table, which primarily means most hands we end up playing or most of the chips go in the pot heads up, mm-hmm. right? Most of the chips go on heads up, usually at the river or, or shortly before that. And so you're really focusing on you and that one other person, you know, heads up. And how do, what do you know about that person? And what have they told you about the hand so far, about their betting pattern or what's going on? What's happened before this hand? It tells you something about it, and that's where I, where I try to focus. And so are you able to, you know, things like that, are you able to, do like, as you're observing the hands throughout the tournament, you're sort of making a mental checklist of specific things, or are you just generally characterizing people so then when you're in a situation with them, you can just bring, I mean, what, what are you bringing up when you're, you get to a heads-up situation, are you bringing up, like, specific examples of things that have happened in the tournament or is it more of a general well you're looking for tendencies okay so you're looking for whatever tendencies whatever information that you have that will tell you something about what that person's doing that tendency might have something to do with um it might have something to do with uh uh, how they've played big pairs or how they played uh premium hands before and whether you're seeing something that would indicate that they have something like that. So are you like that. just re- recalling that in general, or did you like intentionally put that information away into a category? No, you, I, you know, I I don't take notes, yeah. and I wonder whether I, mean, I should you do have because. Notes, I mean, even but you do mental notes, but yeah. but it's it's difficult. The amount of data that's available yeah, to you at the table on any one hand is too much. Right. And so the hard job is figuring out what's important and what you throw away. That's one of my arguments. Like I I don't know what to give weight to and what to <clears> what to put away. So okay. Well. I think you start with, it's all important, okay? Here's the analogy I would give you. Poker's a lot like teaching. And I'm, I'm sorry if I digress here a little bit, no, but, but just so, so you understand. So my favorite, you know, I've had a number of jobs in my life, starting with the paper route to blah, 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 business and teaching, and many, many things in between. But my favorite job by far is still teaching. I love teaching. It's the most interesting job I've ever had. But one of the reasons it's interesting is because there's no doubt that anybody could argue that the best way to learn is one-on-one. Mm-hmm. I can tailor whatever I want to one person if I've got their full attention. Okay. So when you're asked to do that for 25, 30, 40 kids that really don't <laughs> want to learn, right. you know, that's a challenge. You're never going to have a perfect day. You're not going to be able to add your 
totals on your spreadsheets and they're going to balance and say I'm done, right? You're not going to say I looked up at that extra old table and I got right, exactly. this. I've got just right. You're just never going to. You're always going to fall short, right? Yeah. So, so you always have an opportunity to be better. You always have an opportunity to try certain things and see if you can't come at it from a different direction and, and add to the value of the whole experience. Hmm. Then it really gets interesting going back to Covey again when you think about this thing called synergy because sometimes you don't have to do it all yourself. All you've got to do is nudge certain factors in a certain direction and suddenly the kids are learning from each other and there's a better right. experience in the room all together. You're still short. You're still more you yep. can always do, but you're never bored. Every day is a new day. Every mm. day is a new challenge. Okay. okay. Poker is a similar thing. You're never going to get everything right at a poker table. You're never going to pick up every piece of information and read it right. So you have to accept that to begin with, okay? So first and foremost, know that it's not going to be perfect. You're never going to get it 100% right. Now, I've heard, maybe I'm wrong, I've heard people say they played perfectly. Yeah. Okay. And I believe that there are probably some people that can do that, mm -hmm. okay? But they're saying playing perfectly given that the information that they had most of the time will tell them this, and so therefore what they did most of the time is right. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. And you've probably interviewed some of those guys, and they'll, they're probably some of our best players. But I think it's hard mm -hmm. to get that nailed right all the time. Mm -hmm. So you have to know that it's kind of an imperfect game. So you're constantly finding that kind of right zone for yourself that works for you. This gets back to your own game. Right. What can, how much of that information can I handle? Yeah. So let's go back to the player that's, that's, that's newer. Focus on basic things. Focus on things that you deal with in your day-to-day -day life with people. You know, whatever your job may be, we all deal with people. Focus on things that are kind of obvious at first in terms of this person's impatient, you know. Hmm. Okay, well, what does that usually mean if they're impatient, all right? Well, wait for them to make a mistake, okay? You know, there's, there's certain basic things. And then start to pick up the poker aspect of some of those. But look for certain things that they're patterns, okay? Betting patterns. Are there people that always bet bigger in these situations or small? I mean, most of the stuff you're going to find in any poker book. Yeah. Okay. But but what I'm really trying to say is that whether you read it out of a book, whether you hear it on a podcast like this, or wherever you get the information, kind of have a game plan yourself that says, I'm going to go through a process on every hand. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take the information I'm learning. I'm going to look at my two cards, and I'm going to make a decision on what I'm going to do. Right. And I'm saying that the more you can pick up the information around you and make it actionable, mm -hmm. the better player you're going to be. Okay. But you got to figure out how that works for right. you. Right. Okay. Oh, that's good. That's good. So, and so yeah. do you have like a – it's so good because I think, you know, one of the things <clears> that I've talked about on the podcast is I'm very good at observing. I, I'm paying attention to what's going on. I'm like, oh, that, that, oh, they raised bigger there. Okay. I get it all. And then when it comes to the recall part, it's not there. Right. And so I have to understand my own limitations and my own capability and say, right. okay, how can I create a construct for decision-making that maybe doesn't involve that, which other people are able to include? Because I think I spend a lot of mental energy on that. And I'm, if I'm not able to recall it, I should be spending my mental energy on something else. Yeah, let me give you, <laughs> let me come, let me come at it this way. So, so when you sit at a table, we're usually nine or ten people at a table, okay? Well, you know one of them, that's you. Yeah. All right? Well, so, but, I, I kind of know one of them. Right, well, so, so, I will tell you, sometimes we get that one wrong. Sometimes when I make Sometimes I, I do something, I go, what was I doing there? So you're right. You've got to get that one right, too. I know maybe. myself better than the others. Right, yeah. right, right. But to be honest with you, it still comes down to really some basic things. Poker's a struggle of power. We deal with power in every aspect of our lives, right? The more powerful your game can be, the more you're going to succeed. Okay? Well, power is successful. Usually you start with the weakest. 
right? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so where are you going to get your chips? When you sit down at the table and you look around that table, you got to ask yourself, where am I going to get my chips? So you go full on Darwinism here. Well, I'm just I, I'm just saying that's you know that yeah, you know no, if, if there's a player that you know is really tough where's the and you have point? you know that you have a bad history yeah. of in terms of how to read how to play against or whatever yeah. then stay away from it. yeah I mean it's kind of common sense okay um, sometimes it's not just a player sometimes there are players that we play well against in certain situations and in other situations we don't mm-hmm. know what those are okay mm-hmm. or types of players or whatever but what, what I found is the most important is whatever you decide as it relates to that is do it confidently. Whatever you do, do it confidently. Okay. If you've decided that you and I are playing and we're down to um, you know, the, the turn of the river and you have your 15 big blinds and I've got my 30 or 40 big blinds and you think I'm trying to push you around mm-hmm. and you think you've seen something from our play together that tells me there's a high degree of confidence we are then play back at me that yeah, way right. with that in mind either right. either with letting me spew off chips to you with your big hand at the end uh, making a hero call or whatever or by basically saying I'm going to put the pressure back on you right, right. now on the right. turn you make the with this position. stack, yeah. whatever it might be. But you've already kind of figured out there's a place that you think that our pl- where we play head to head that you have an advantage, and I you can play you know that you've hmm. seen. Then when you decide that, go do it confidently. Okay. Okay. And what, so what's the key with with confidence? I mean, having confidence. What what's the impact of that? Well, you know, is, it, is it because it, it portrays strength to the other your players, opponent, yeah. or is it more for your own personal? <clears throat> it's both. Yeah, it's both. Every time we don't act confidently, the other players pick up on that. Yeah. Okay. Then we're more vulnerable. Yeah. All right. Okay. You know, this game's a lot about aggression. All things being equal, the aggressors have got an advantage. Right. If you're a weak aggressor, you're not really an aggressor. Okay. <laughs> so if if you're playing in a hand and you're meekly. I did it. I did it on Sunday. I played in the same tournament on Sunday, and I found myself uh, raising from position with uh, a mediocre hand against a good player in the big blind, and and I missed the flop entirely, and I you know kind of hesitated on my continuation, but and just wasn't as confident in putting it in, and I got exactly what I thought I was going to get. I got a raise back, yeah. and I folded. And you think that was because they detected. Yes. The confidence. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Wow. But my mind was straying. I was thinking about something else. Right. I was playing sloppy. We'd just come back from break. But you weren't. So you, didn't, you, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't have my head in the game entirely, and so I paused. I could tell the pause was picked up, okay. and I and I put <laughs> a bet in that said I'm weak. Okay. okay. All right. Now, now, I'll use that next time, and when you're really strong, oh, right. do that. But, <laughs> right, exactly. but in that particular case, it was just I, my head wasn't back in the game yet. And yep. I was just playing sloppy, so okay. whatever the case may be. I'm just saying, if you're going to do it, do it confidently. Yeah. I'm not saying I do it all the time. Yeah. But you're better off if you do it confidently. Yeah. Whatever you do, do it with confidence. Yeah. Do yeah. it with, you know, make your decision yep. and then execute it with full confidence. Yep. Um, I, I think that's that's important. And yeah. it'll, it'll kind of carry over. <clears throat> Are there other things that you see players doing that you pick up on, whether it's those sorts of lack of confidence things or if it's, is it, you know, betting patterns or... I mean, you already Gosh, there's so many things, but yeah, but I mean, but but I mean, I can talk about you know talk about things I do wrong. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I just talk about one of them there. I mean, yeah. I think I think I think I think um, um, if you're really predictable, if you do the same things in the same situations all the time, yeah, you know, people people are going to pick up on that. The over good players time. will pick up on that. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, which I think is part of the the big jump from you know some of us playing the the 30s, the 50s, the 100s. 
they're playing the 280s and the 1100s. Right. Also, people are noticing. People are actually paying attention. <laughs> right. 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 That's true. That's true. There, there are players that I think try to be cute. Their goal is to put a bad beat on somebody else. Their goal is to be sneaky. Yeah. And and I think that's fine if that's what they want to do. But it's not a winning strategy. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a winning. They get that one moment of glory, but exactly. But you yeah. tend to pay a lot for it on the other side. So I, I go back to what I said before. Figure out what kind of player you want to be, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, figure out what your strengths are, and then try to play to your strengths. Okay. And if you find like I found a few years ago, I'm hitting a wall. I'm not getting where I want to be. Then step back and go figure out. There's so much information available out there. There's too much information available yeah. out there. Yeah. Right. But but you know whether it's talking to somebody you know that you trust that knows you that can give you good feedback, whether it's playing different levels in different tournaments against different people and trying different things. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of ways you can do this. Yeah. But but I mean just make a commitment to if you want to get better. It's, the scheme is not rocket science in right. terms of, of you can get better by. You know, you want to be a better golfer, you go out and play and mm-hmm. work on your short game and, and you play three, four times a week yep. and you, you, get commit, you, you, you get commit to it, right? You yeah. get you take lessons or whatever. This game has, you know, similar similar aspects to it. So, so as I keep thinking about, like, we got about 10 minutes left, but I keep thinking about, like, the framework for decision-making and some of those things that I'm still wrestling with, even though I'm, I feel like my game's improving. I'm still wrestling with some of those things, and it feels like so much of it just comes down to hand ranging. I mean, your hand versus other people's range or yeah. their perception of your range. Is that is that like the general construct that you use or how do you think about decision making? Because I think it seems like people say, here's all the factors that you should consider, but it seems like every one of those, whether it's stack size, type of player, everything influences their hand range. Or, I feel like you're asking me, is hand range the most important thing? Well, ultimately, or does, does are all the other important things, do ultimately they just feed into hand range and that's really where you make your decision or... Maybe I'm asking you what what is your construct or what are the most important things when you're thinking about a decision? Yeah. I mean I, I think I think what you had to think about too is kind of what we talk about line, what kind of line you're gonna take in a hand. Remember you're 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 you've got kind of a you got an idea of the range of possibilities of how this hand might go pre flop and then of course after the flop. Okay. And so um, you have to have some framework in your mind of what might be a profitable line so that just you can take. Ahead of, yeah, 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 and not just think about what you're seeing right now. Yep. You know, um, I mean, there, 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 are, there are easy things. I'll give you an example of an easy one. So, so let's say you have, um, I don't know, what's a good example here? Um, let, let's say you have a, a queen ten suited, and uh, uh, you know, there's a there's a board where where uh, you have a ten and it's second pair, and you think there's a good chance you might have the best hand at the table, but it's a multi-way pot, right? Mm-hmm. And there's and, and it's early on, and people just don't throw their cards away till at least the turn early on. Right. You know, it's hard to raise anybody off their hands, and so you look out at the board, and uh, you know, if you hit a queen, that's going to bring some people straights into play. Mm-hmm. Well, why are you in the hand anymore? Mm-hmm. You know. Which is a lot different than if you're later in a tournament and right. you've got that same queen ten suited, and uh, maybe you're in middle position in my first example, and in, my, in in the second example you're really in a heads up situation, and not only that you have a pretty you know you have a two to one stack size over the other opponent and you're on the bubble mm-hmm. and they're trying to make the money. Okay, well gosh, you have a monster right now. 
Right. Okay. Yeah, it's possible that one person might, you know, a queen might give them, uh, uh, you know, a straight, mm-hmm. but because you can put so much pressure they're on them, they may not even going to get a chance to see yeah. it. So yeah. I'm just saying there's 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 kind of what I mean by, um, you, you know, think about what's the whole the big picture. What's situation. the big picture of the line? Yeah. What, what, how do you expect to make money on this hand? How do you expect to be successful in this hand? Well, those same two cards are in two different situations. They're totally different. All those things you said before about hand ranges and. And, and stack sizes and tells that you've seen and position on the table and all that means something entirely different in the one situation than it did in the other situation. Okay. So it's really you have to start top down. What's the overall situation, yeah, tournament situation? Yeah. Who's in the pot? What's their situation? So, so the way I think about it, early on in a tournament, early on in a tournament, I think about, okay, stay out, you know, early on in a tournament, you can't win a tournament in a multi, but you can lose it by yeah. making, you know, so you try to stay away from. You know, trap situations. Right. But you try to be in hands with weaker players where there's a better chance you're going to pick up chips. And maybe, in fact, you're going to, you know, somebody's willing to give away their whole stack right. uh, in a given situation. Yep. you got to kind of figure your way around in that. Later on, middle of the tournament, other points mm-hmm. of the tournament, you got other thoughts going through your mind. So those start your high level framework of how you're thinking. Then maybe you think about what position you're in second. I'm just saying yep. something yep. like that. Generally. Then within yeah. that position, you're going to play certain hands and then. I, you know, and so it kind of, I guess there is kind of a hierarchical thought process that you could go through. I tend to think of them kind of. You think that's just kind of a natural thing for you because of experience? Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. Second nature now? I, I, yeah. As you can tell, I, I don't want to get myself overly structured because I feel like when you get yourself overly right. structured, you get into patterns. And, right. And, 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 and maybe that's my weakness. My weakness is I got too many holes because I, I'm i not <laughs> structured enough. Yeah. Right. So we'll yeah. see. I don't you know. Can, you can damage it either way. I think for me, it's just still trying to figure out what's that right structure, general framework, and, without, a, you know, without a lot of And what's of right for me may not be right, right exactly. for you. But the elements are the same. Yeah. The yeah. elements are the same. So how much information can you manage? We're, you know, think about where have you played the game profitably? Mm-hmm. How has the game worked best for you properly? What situations have you been the most effective in? Okay. Right. Try to put yourself in those situations as much as possible. Where have you not been effective? Where have you not been effective? And I can say in part, stay out of those situations more, but also what can you do to be better in those situations? Right. Sometimes you're not going to be profitable in given situations, but just by being marginally unprofitable is a win. Mm, okay. Yeah. If it's better than what it was. Right, right, right. right. So it's thinking that way. So when, when you're making a decision, like you talk about which line to take, are you are you uh, like uh, I guess intentionally thinking through? Okay, if I bet here, you know I'm going to fold to raise. I'm, I mean, are you are you pretty good at actually thinking those things through? Because I think one of the things that a lot of us newer players, the mistakes a lot of us make is we we take an action, then somebody takes an action that surprises us, and then we go in the tank for five minutes trying to figure out what to do. Versus it seems like the more advanced players are thinking through already. They already know what the guy's chip stacks are. They already know if they raise what they're going to do in general. I mean, I think I think you've got to think through a few of the situations that are most likely to occur. Yeah, you can't think through everything. Of course, yeah, you but, can't think through everything, and and you're invariably going to find that the next, something happens that you didn't expect. So you're going to need to stop and tank. But typically, let's say let's say if you three bet preflop, right? Do you pretty much know at that point already if they four bet them? I'm folding or shoving. I or should. I'll tell you how. I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what knocked me out of the main event this year. I, uh, the I, WSOP main? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize you. Oh, yeah, yeah sure. I went to day yeah. three. Yeah, you saw my picture. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, this, Unfortunately, this is my recall issue I have. No problem. <laughs> like a half hour. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a very classic. I was very unhappy with how I did this. 
some and, and then the guys at the table said, "Oh, that was just a cooler." Well, um, I ended up in a situation where I started the day with 78,000 chips. My average stack was probably about a buck and a half. Um, we we had a couple, you know, 2,200 players left out of 7,200. We need to get to half that yep. to be in the money. Maybe it was more than that. Maybe it was 25 or 2,600. But the point was. The thought was at the end of the day we'd be in the money. Right. It turned out, you know, that's that's level 15. It turned out to be level 16. They kept playing until they got in the money. So we're now in level 11, almost in level 12. And I built my 78,000 chip stack to 98,000, which gives me about 40 big blinds. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm in fine. Another stack similar to me, um, in middle position raised, min race. Um, and I guess we're at 1,000, 2,000 yet. And, uh, and uh, so I have almost 50 big blinds. Mm-hmm. And he raises to 4,000. And um, I chose with my pocket queens on the button to re-raise him to 10, to put a strong raise in. Well, what ended up happening um, was after a lot of tanking on his part, he re-raised me, I re-raised him, we got it all in, he had aces, I had queens. Okay. And I lost most of my stack. Yeah. But normally I would have gotten in a raising war with queens. Normally mm-hmm. I don't. Um, but I felt like I had a read on him. Okay. That, that, that I felt much stronger about an ace-king hand being there. Um, so really regretting the three-bet. It was the five-bet you were regretting probably. Well, to be honest with you, to go back to the hand, yeah. I regret the three-bet. The three-bet was the mistake. Um, I said, once I once I threw... Well, hold on. I re, yeah, the three-bet the three was okay. The five-bet certainly was wrong. The three-bet, though, wasn't necessary either. Okay. On the button, I can flat right. with queens there in, under, under, uh, in that situation, and I leave myself so many more options. Okay. Okay. Yep. But I thought I saw something with his original mm-hmm. raise and what I had seen earlier yeah. that that showed weakness, okay. and then I just jumped on that yep. long read well, and never a good hand. and never let it go. Okay. Well, because also queens don't play well post flop right. in certain situations. Right. You know. Good chance and, to overcome. Right, right, yeah. right. And, and that's a little bit of a fear thing. Like I'm worried yeah. about how to play queens out your post flop. That's kind of dumb in that situation, particularly in that. That's almost like arrogance, you know. Mm-hmm. That I, that I, that I. Uh, well, that's that's not arrogance, but that's just bad play. And so, um, uh, even if I made the mistake of, of three betting and then he he uh, four bet me back, you know. My play there is throw them away or, fly, or flat, mm-hmm. and then hopefully I can get away from it. In this case, flop, ace, king, I was a mile behind. Mm-hmm. It was easy hand to get away from. Let's say I do put the 24,000 in. I still have yeah. 35 big money. So, right. so it was really a bad play. And it was a bad play because primarily because I allowed myself to, to ignore some of the feedback I was getting and lock way too much into other feedback I thought I was getting. Mm, okay. You know, he raised for a reason. So you, you he has a stack smaller than mine. He wants to cash today, too. Right. He's not putting more chips in with a really weak hand. Right. Okay. As soon as I got four bet, I'm probably behind. And depending on his perception of you as well, depending yeah. on how you've been playing. Right, right, yeah. right. So, it, I mean, I ignored yeah. certain feedback because I felt like I saw something. Well, okay, you got to take it all. You got to balance it all. Yeah, and, and that's one of those interesting situations. I feel like because we talk about this a lot, where there's competing information. Right. You have your your read, which is that he's weaker, and you've got your betting patterns, which is maybe telling you he's strong, and you got the situational. You know that you got all of these things. Sometimes you got multiple competing things that say I should fold, and the other things that are saying I should shove. And, how do you balance those things? If, if I'm in that if I'm in that situation tonight, I'm fine with how I play the game. So for you, you gave yourself 
you you weighted your read <clears throat> too heavily in that spot. Yeah, but I mean we're yeah. playing in a different tournament well, no, tonight. Yeah, tonight. Yeah, tonight. Yeah, tonight, tonight I, I mean tonight that's just a cooler, right? Right. In right. the situation, but in the in the World Series of Poker where main event, the cash where there's a fifteen thousand dollar check right. at the end of the day, right. if I just stay out of trouble, and you got forty bids. I left myself open for exactly what happened. Right. That was just dumb. That yeah. was just bad. I mean, play. one person might say, well, you're giving yourself the opportunity to have. Two hundred fifty thousand to make a real run. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. You know, so some people say, "Well, you're giving yourself an opportunity to win it," but there's the whole ICM implications, right? Like, let's get in the money first and then take that shot. But where are we at on time? Yeah, we should probably wrap up here. That's fine. Yeah, well, How do we do on the questions? Well, I got through a couple. I don't, you know, I, I, you never get through them all. You're over, a, you're over prepared. I make a little script and then I never follow it. It's, it's, okay. it's, it's classic. That's me. real life. It really is. That's real life. Well, as we think about, as we wrap up, I guess, kind of final words, any words of wisdom to the recreational player, trying to you know encourage them to. to More than anything else, have fun. Do. Whatever you're going to do, have fun. Do it to where it's fun for you. My wife always says to me, "Go have fun before I go out, out outside and play." And you know, I'll come home and I'll tell her, I'm like, I made a mistake, or this happened and I lost. And she goes, but did you have did fun? And I go to her, yeah. well, winning is more fun than losing. <laughs> <laughs> so go have fun, win some. It's more fun when you win some. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for your time, you Mark. You bet. Thanks, Steve. All right. All right, well, once again, thanks to Mark Hodge for taking the time to sit, with, sit down with us. Uh, I just enjoyed that conversation probably way more than I should have, and it's just such an honor to, to chat with all of these great players and great guys. So before I wrap up, here's uh, one more quick spot for Running Aces, our official sponsor. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Uh, hey, just one more shout-out for All In For Africa, October 28th at Running Aces. If you want to be a bounty, uh, let me know. Uh, also, everybody's getting their podcast in a different way, so uh, just be aware that there is another way to get your podcast, and that's through the Running Aces website where we have all of the previous podcasts. We also have links uh, and all the descriptions for each of those, so it's an easy way to see them all in one place if you don't have a good podcast app or uh, you're currently kind of scrounging to try to get them or linking from some uh, some different place. So that's a great place to go. Uh, check out what Running Aces is doing, but also uh, get everything you need to know about the Rec Poker podcast, including how to get in touch with me if you want to do that. Okay, well, thanks, everybody. On to next week. Take care.